Hi, my name is Stephen Crafty and I'm presenting Talking Design at RMIT University. So I'm with uh, architect Brett Nixon. He's a director of NTF Architecture. Welcome to the program, Brett. Thank you, Stephen. Good to be here. Well, it would be better if we were in the studio, but that's not going to happen. Absolutely. Yet. <laughs> Afraid but, not. Um, welcome to the program. Brett, look, I have been following your work for a number of years, um, and I think, uh, you know, there are a number of different uh, facets to your work, but one of them is uh, your interest in recycling or uh, recycling buildings and giving them a second purpose rather than just pulling down uh, you actually uh, can give them another life and I, I suppose that's best uh, exemplified with those townhouses you did in uh, you designed and you won an award for in um, Blackburn. That's correct yeah so they, that was um, that was a project that uh, where we basically took six existing uh, 1960s uh, one-bedroom little villa units um, that really had uh, reached the end of their life. They, they, they really hadn't had anything done to them since the 60s. Um, and, you know, I, I guess the obvious response to, to that site would have been to bulldoze them and start again. Um, we saw some real value <clears throat> in keeping them. So what we actually did with them was to keep the existing footprint take the roofs off them and add an additional level to each one of them. So one of the really nice things for us um, with this project was not only the, the idea that we were able to actually reuse what was there, but um, in being able to, to, to do that, we were able to actually put forward a, a very affordable um, product to that market. So, Brett, when you... Um, well, I've noticed when you look at a lot of buildings that have been upcycled or transformed, you can actually, they kind of get a bit awkward. Um, sometimes they kind of don't read of the past or of the present and there's kind of, there's a bad fit to them. It looks as if they've just been changed because people want something new. These don't look like that. These actually look like new townhouses. I mean, there's very few signs of the past, yet you've integrated the structure. So how do you kind of, what are the things you have to keep and what are the things you say, look, we'll ditch? Um, I guess the things, um, particularly with that project, and, and we, do, we do have another similar project on site at, at the moment, Q. Um, the, the masonry elements, I guess, are, are pretty integral to, that, that's, I suppose, the... Um, and a very important part of the of the the buildings that are there. So they, they basically, I guess, provide the footprint. Um, and generally, the, you know, there'll be an element that will be in, in reasonably good condition. So, um, you know, certainly with, with Blackburn, the, you know, the subfloor structure needed a bit of tidying up, but the brickwork was fine. It, it, it you know, it's, it had stood solid for over 50 years. Um, and has got many more years left in it. So I guess those sort of elements are important to keep. Um, and, and into that existing structure, then we, we, we made some new openings um, for new windows and um, I guess tried to, um, to keep as much of what was there as we could, really. Brett, why is it that so many 
architects and it might not even be driven by the architects why so many clients whether they're developers or individual individuals why is it that they look at these builders and, and just put them in the too difficult basket and say look just pull them down it's actually easier and isn't it just cheaper in the long run just to get rid of it and start from fresh yeah i mean look i guess that that's um that's one way of looking at it we it's a default for, for us with, with any any project is that we do look at what's there um, and what are the opportunities to keep what's there. I mean, one of, one of the things that I guess made it a pretty easy sell with this project uh, to our clients is that we got, um, we got a really good planning uplift out of keeping what was there. So as a site, um, a, a clear site, um, we probably would have... Less building. Yeah, well, the council would have been looking for three larger, um, three-bedroom brick veneer um, townhouses. Um, we certainly believed uh, that there was a market for the sort of product that, that the project ended up being, which was two-bedroom um, townhouses with a bathroom each for, for each bedroom, so really good rental kind of product. Um, Close to the station, um, yeah, they, they, they certainly, they, when they hit the market, they, they rented very easily. There's, you know, certainly demand for that sort of product and, and unfortunately not always supported by council. <laughs> um, Brett, going from that example to something that you've just completed, which is quite a, an amazing project, um, is this large heritage well, it is a mansion, a bluestone mansion uh, in Melbourne's eastern suburbs. Extraordinary. Um, and it's kind of almost overwhelming in terms of the scale of the building and what you had to do with it. So tell me about it, because I think it's a really interesting project. Probably one of it's, it's heritage listed, it's state significant. Tell me about... A, the building itself, but also when you first uh, arrived on the property, your immediate reaction to this amazing place. Um, so, so the property we're talking about is, uh, is known as Desterville. It, um, it was built in 1859 for the first Attorney General of Victoria. Uh, it was designed by Knight and Kerr, who were the architects for Parliament House, and it was the only residence that they ever designed. So it, um, it originally sat on 32 acres in pretty prime part of Kew, <laughs> um, and that, that land was, was gradually obviously chipped away at. Um, so what was left is 2,600 square metres, so it's still a very sizable plot. Um, the house is bluestone. It's very grand. I mean, uh, uh, it's arguably the most significant bluestone house in the country um, and, and classified by, by Heritage Victoria. It was on their original 400 dwellings or, or, or buildings that they are uh, in 1974, I think, when the, when the register was, was begun. So, so when, when you first arrived at um, this place, and it was obviously it'd been renovated in the 90s pretty in a pretty you know average type of way i mean do you kind of get overwhelmed by the scale 
uh, of this project because it, it required um, upgrading for a family who wanted contemporary living and yet you're inheriting this very solid bluestone structure that isn't easy to change. I mean, people think you can just put a window here and a, and a door there. It doesn't work that way. Tell me about some of the restrictions um, that you faced, Brett, because I think people, it's an example for people who are thinking of buying a heritage house. I mean, this obviously is of highly, of, you know, great significance, but I think some of the things that you're about to say will perhaps alarm people, <laughs> even in terms of the plumbing and, you know, the pipes and all the rest of it. Tell me about the process because it might put people off going into a heritage house. Look, it, and, and, and it, it shouldn't actually. I, I think the, um, the, really the key to the success for us of this project um, lay largely with the clients as well and, and, and the fact that they... Uh, they were on board. I mean, they bought this house. We hadn't spoken to them prior to them purchasing and um, they knew, obviously, that it was a house of significance. I don't know if they fully understood what that meant. Um, what does it mean for most people when they, when they buy a heritage house? I guess, you know, so these owners had previously lived in, in, in a, an area where they had a heritage overlay on there on their last, in fact, their last two houses. So they, they'd been through a process of renovating those. So they, I mean, they had an understanding that, you know, they can't go and knock things down. And uh, I guess the, the thing that was, um, they probably didn't fully appreciate was the, the extent to which that listing um, encompassed every uh, internal element of the house. To give so, me an example, you know, Brad. Um, examples like it, 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 there's a range of things. So, A, a we couldn't uh, remove any doorways. We couldn't put any new openings in any walls. We, um, we couldn't remove any structure, albeit structure that was hidden by later walls. So, I mean, an example is um, an old column that was was in the middle of, a, uh, of an existing wall that had been there for a long time. Um, we didn't realise it was there. We opened the wall up hoping that we could open the space up further. The column is there. We can't move it because it's, it's, you know, it's been there a long time. And certainly the, the process um, that we went through with, with Heritage Victoria, uh, they were, you know, they're well aware, obviously, that, that you know these houses need need to be up, updated, um, and this house has had probably four or five significant renovations in its life, um, and this was going to be the next one. That being said, they you know they they made comment to us that you know every one of these renovations chips away at the original fabric, and that you know whilst we you know maybe we're asking for something that we thought was fairly minor. Um, in the totality of all the renovations over the last 160 years, 170 years, um, starts, to, starts to amount to something. So um, we were, you know, we went into the project, I guess, um, being very mindful that we had to deal with what was there. And that's fine. I mean, for us, you know, 
Sorry, Steve. No, I was going to say, did you work with a heritage architect on this? Because yes, yes, we worked. Yes, we worked with Nigel Lewis, um, who interestingly had had a very long association with this house. So he had first been there, I think, certainly in the nineteen sixties, maybe even earlier, as you know, and. Um, he has, it would be fair to say, a long-standing love affair with this house. So he was, um, he was very excited to be on board and, and, a, and a great source of, of information and knowledge, it's certainly with, when it came to the background and, um, and the significance of certain elements. And, and um, yeah, uh, so yes, yes, we did, I guess. Great. <laughs> um, I mean... This is probably one of the largest heritage projects you've worked on. Uh, I mean, you worked with, um, you've worked on a number of large projects, but a heritage project of this scale. What do you think people should be made aware of when they go into something significant like this? Not so much from the architectural point of view, or from the architect's point of view, but from the client's point of view. What's something that is it something that maybe they have to realise they can't get the home cinema in and they can't get this in? And, you know, are there limits to what they can expect from such a, a, a place? Yes, I mean, look, the, the, the thing is, I, I guess they need to have an open mind and go in with a, a level of flexibility. I mean, the, the, the thing I think that was interesting um, on this project is that there were a number of, existing large rooms in the, you know, when, when you walk in the front door uh, of this house, which is extraordinarily grand, um, you, you know, you're greeted by a ceiling that's four and a half metres high and a hallway that would be 2.4 metres wide. It, they're, they're very grand spaces. And, and it was interesting because the clients had almost not worked out what to do with all of these rooms. Um, there's only so many lounge rooms you can have. So we, we almost were joking because you walk in the front door, the salon is to the right, the formal lounge is to the left. You move a little further down the hall, there's another lounge, which I don't know whether we have ever ended up giving that one a name. Um, <laughs> and you continue through the house, there was another, well, what got converted into a gym, another space that had been a lounge as well, and then there was another informal lounge that ended up going in. So there's all these um, different spaces within the house. And it was just a case of, of, of working through um, what they could be and, and getting some order to the house. Uh, certainly the, the work that had been done, uh, as you were saying earlier, the work that had been done um, 30 years ago was you know, in our opinion, it was, it was very subservient to, to, to the house. It was very ordinary sort of architecture. It relatively, I guess, inoffensive, but um, very underwhelming. Uh, Rachel, I was going to ask you a question that with the contemporary work that you've done uh, in this house, um, the new wing actually features smaller rooms. So you've actually created a uh, a series of smaller, more intimate spaces as opposed to the grand, impressive spaces where they would have had, you know, balls and, you know, dignitaries come from all around the world. And so, in a sense, you've got smaller, intimate spaces rather than just saying, well, look, the original rooms are huge. We'll just uh, work with large rooms. But people don't live like that now. I think they do need that 
combination of more intimate spaces that actually they can, you know, they can watch television together without feeling like they're in a, you know, picture theatre. Exactly. And, and look, that was certainly very much part of the, uh, of, of the brief, that there was, I guess, the, the formal spaces in the house were established. Um, the informal spaces weren't. And, um, it, you know, this house is for a family of four. They've got two teenage kids. Um, you know, they, you don't need to be, as you say, you don't need to be in a ballroom when you have your dinner <laughs> or your breakfast um, or, to, or, to, or to watch TV or for, you know, the kids to play PlayStation. Or So, you know, I think it was important to have these smaller, more intimate and cosy spaces. Um, um, Brett, look, your, your practice really covers a number of different areas. You do a lot of multi-res, uh, this very bespoke houses, a number of additions with your co-director, George Forty. Um, what are the areas that you find the most challenging? What are the, and, and where, do you want, where do you see the practices moving to in the future if you were looking at a crystal ball? Um, most challenging. Um, look, I, I guess every project comes with its challenges. You know, it's uh, certainly year on year, uh, regulations are, are ruling our lives more and more. And I guess that's something that uh, I, I guess it, it, we seem to get to the end of, end of every year and there's a, a new raft of building regulations that come in or planning regulations that seem to get tighter and, and more restrictive. Um, I guess that's, you know, a lot of the challenges that we face are around just coming to terms with those things and, and, the, and the fact that that, you know, sometimes will clip the ability of, for architects to come up with creative solutions um, if, if things become far more prescribed. Um, you know, and, and, you know, we, we obviously understand that they're there to stop some of the dreadful things that have got built in the last few years. But, um, yeah, it's not, yeah, I suppose that, that can be a little frustrating. Um, the other thing that's but, interesting, Brett, and it's, it's something that your practice tends to do a lot of, and that is townhouses. And, you know, it's an interesting area because people are, you know, you, you see a lot of apartments now, but I've always thought townhouses were a lovely way of scaling down from the large family home. Are you finding still the demand for townhouses or something else? Uh, yeah, yes, yes is probably the, the answer to that. I mean, a lot of the... Um a lot of the townhouse work that we've traditionally done has been owner-occupied um, products. So, you know, we, I guess we've always seen that as an extension of the work that we've done in single residential architecture where, um, you know, historically we, a lot of our work is in Inner East and, and, and Bayside um, and those clients, I guess, get to a, a point in their life where the kids have moved out they don't necessarily need to be in Melbourne seven days a week anymore. They've got a place out of Melbourne where they spend a few days and, and they need to scale back a little. And so I guess, you know, a lot of, a lot of the townhouse sort of work that we've been doing caters to those people. It's, um, it's their next stage of life. Um, and we understand those clients well. We are, 
I guess we also, in that space, do have a good understanding of the, of the commercial angle that you know, these, are, these are done by developers, obviously, to make money. Um, so it's that balance um, around spending the money in the right places, not, not wasting it on things that no one will ever appreciate. So. And I suppose the, you know, the idea of townhouses is people still come with a lot of stuff um, and, you know, the idea of just throwing everything out to move into something, you know, that's minuscule isn't just going to happen. I mean, people are fond of their stuff. They like to bring their artwork with them. They like to bring uh, their furniture with them, even if it isn't, um, you know, the latest catalogue. Yeah. So the townhouse actually provides them that opportunity to keep as much of their possessions as possible. Yeah, indeed. And, and it, 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 I suppose that the things that it takes away, uh, you know, inherently we, we will look at, you know, these are, are low maintenance type buildings. So, you know, it, those sort of things, the garden areas are, are obviously smaller. Um, so the, those sort of things, I guess, people don't necessarily miss about their big house. <laughs> but, you know, they, they're, they're designed so that, you know, with a, with a palette that will take a range of people's furniture. You know, it's, we don't tend to put bright red kitchens in, in this sort of product because um, maybe that wouldn't go. <laughs> so, you, you know. That, Brett, do you think some architects or, you know, are too prescriptive in terms of what they deliver and that they be kind of force their clients to live in a certain way perhaps? Um. Well, I guess certainly when it comes to townhouses, not really, because if, if people are not happy with them, they won't buy them. <laughs> so, uh, you know, with, with townhouses, the, the market is, is the, uh, the indicator of how successful they are. So, you know, one of the things I guess that we have been um, happy with consistently over the years is that uh, our, the townhouses that we do are well received by the market. Um, and people are excited about what they're getting. It doesn't look... Each project has its own real sense of identity, so it's it's not... You know, we're not rolling out a house style across the inner east. Each, each project, uh, you know, is designed in its own right for its site. Um, so... Yeah. Look, Brett, um, well done on your latest award for the Blackburn townhouses. Thank you. Thank um, you. It is an example where you can actually take something and and think about it rather than just pulling it down. And I think, look, one of the strong directions at the moment is recycling or upcycling, but sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And, um, and in this case, it obviously... It, definitely did work but look i'll be following your next move so thank um, you thanks so much for coming onto the program today oh, thank you for inviting you've been listening to stephen crafty talking design is produced by rmit university and brought to you in partnership with melbourne city council if you'd like to stay up to date with all things talking design be sure to follow us on instagram and twitter at talking design underscore